Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Double Down WNBA podcast. This is Eric Nemchuk alongside Stephen Trinkwald. And Stephen, we are back at it with the gamers doing some uh, more game recaps. First up, the uh, Atlanta Dream and the Minnesota Lynx from June 4th. Yes, from uh, this will be Friday night's game, not Sunday, which is uh, starting right as we are starting to record this. So uh, no, no insight to what's happening there. But this was uh, an 86-84 Lynx win, which was uh, a pretty good game, pretty entertaining. Um, not the, the most high-powered offense, but, you know, both teams over 100 in offensive rating here. I guess some quick overview notes. Laser Clarendon got their first start with Minnesota. And then for Atlanta, Odyssey Sims got the start in place of Kennedy Carter, who has an indefinite timeline with an hyper-extended elbow. And then this was also Cheyenne Parker's first game back. So some interesting rotation pieces to get to here, but where should we kind of start with this game? Well, actually, I wanted to make a quick note. Um, in case anyone is wondering why we are doing these games, we like to kind of spread the wealth around and, and talk about different teams each weekend. So we're not consistently talking about the storm or consistently talking about this guy or, or what have you. So, but yeah, the, the dream and the links. Uh, yeah. And just to build off that we we've done, I think this is our third game recap episode in three of these four teams. We haven't talked about a specific game for uh, in these two teams and then uh, the Liberty, which we'll get to in the next game. So uh, right. like you said, spread it around a little bit. Yeah. Okay. So um, what we should get to at first, I think are the starting lineups. Um, obviously we have Sims in for Carter. We have Clarendon in for Dangerfield, which is, Maybe not as surprising considering um, Clarendon played pretty well for the Lynx in his first uh, his first game there. but uh, And Cheryl Reeve has kind of been shy to start Dangerfield this season. But uh, what do you think of like these lineups? Are they kind of what you expected? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, for Minnesota, not particularly kind of coming into this season, right? Like I thought Dangerfield kind of had this spot really, you know, without real competition for it, but obviously hasn't gotten up to the start that uh, I expected from Crystal Dangerfield. Uh, and there, I think, you know, very specific weaknesses that come with having Crystal Dangerfield on the court, even if she is playing well offensively, you know, the defensive limitations and then with the offense not being amazing, you know, I, I do think uh, overall for Minnesota, uh, things have looked a lot better with Powers not kind of playing out of position. But Clarendon did play so well in his first game against Connecticut and then played well in this game as well. And then for Atlanta, yeah, I, I guess Sims, you know, gives you – I mean, what do you think in terms of Sims or McDonald for, like, the starting point guard role in Carter's absence? Honestly, I'm not sure at this point what Sims brings that McDonald doesn't. Then again, besides, obviously, the, the veteran know-how and, and the savvy, if you want to call it that, Sims did have a good game, a decent floor game, I think. But McDonald was the one who ended up playing more minutes, and they're the, they're the, she's the player who the Dreamer really invested in. So for all intents and purposes, I'm not sure how much it matters who's starting for this team. I think a lot of their skill sets kind of overlap, but McDonald is just, I think, a little better defender, whereas Sims, I don't want to say she's more respected from three-point range, but she has a little bit of experience in that, in that department. I don't know. I think it's 12-1, half dozen of another, don't you? And McDonald was really the one that Atlanta went to to close the game, uh, yeah. you know, for, for long stretches outside of essentially a defense-only possession where Sims was replaced, uh, Sims replaced McDonald for the defense-only possession like within the last couple of seconds of the game. Um, but I thought McDonald had a really strong game on both ends, and I guess we can kind of start there. You know, McDonald, she hit uh, – what did she have four threes in this game? Yeah, four um, three-pointers. Had an – 
and one as well. Really, I thought solid defensively. You know, you are obviously much more familiar with McDonald's game coming into the season than I was. What did you think of uh, McDonald in this one? Yeah, this was probably the best game I've seen Aaron McDonald play thus far in a rookie season. The three-pointers were interesting to me. You, know, you look at it, she took nine threes. That's, that's maybe a little ambitious for her, but um, everything else was, was totally on point, particularly her on, her on-ball defense. In my opinion, McDonald is already one of the best on-ball defenders in the WNBA, and she fits this aggressive Atlanta Dream defensive scheme so well. Because she's just so she's just so disruptive out there, and she's not gonna she's not a player who's going to, you know, get screened, get hit with a screen, and then just completely disappear from the play. No, she's gonna give that second and third effort. Um, she never stops. Like she's got quick hands. She's always like up in the grill of whoever's got the basketball. And the links for a team that you know has uh, have had a little bit of point guard struggles to start the season. I think you know Mike Peterson. He was like, okay, Ari, you know, go get him. You know, this is this is what you excel at. This is what you want to cut your teeth on early in your career. And, uh, you know, she started with the defense and let the rest of the game come to her. Yeah, and she had that nice strip on Crystal Dangerfield uh, at some point in this game and was able to get out in transition, you know, didn't convert, but it was definitely a promising uh, element to see kind of her turning uh, defense into offense. But, you know, this was a, a game that Minnesota won, and I thought, you know, the, largely because Nafisa Collier was the best player in this game, I thought. Yeah, uh, not surprisingly, Nafisa Collier with the Lynx is better than Nafisa Collier without the Lynx. Or should I say, the Lynx with Nafisa are better than the Lynx without Nafisa. Um, she was a total monster. She drew, she shot 13 free throws, 7 or 12 shooting from the field, 26 points. Um, she, I mean, she played almost the entire game, yikes, 36 and a half minutes. Um, but you can tell right away that the, the collier fouls combination was something they were really comfortable with. They wanted to establish Collier in the post. They wanted to establish fouls in the post. I think it was interesting. Fowles took, I think, six of her eight field goal attempts in the first quarter. So that, that was something they were really successful with. If you look at the, uh, I, I don't know what you call this, the uh, kind of the, the um, what, what do you call it with the two colors in the, going by the, the quarters in the advanced stats page? I'm sorry, I don't know what you're talking about. Like the, well, if, the, if you the go if you go on the advanced box like, score, yeah, okay, um, kind of kind of the uh, where where it tells you like what team was leading by how much and when. Um, if you look at the biggest links leads were when they were getting Sylvia Fowles the ball down low, because as usual, uh, Atlanta has nobody who can stop her down there, but they kind of went away from that, which I thought was interesting. Yeah. It does always kind of seem like early offense, not, you know, early in the shot clock, but early in the game for Minnesota, like they want to. Uh, a point of, of emphasis. Right? Yeah. A point of emphasis for sure is to kind of get Fowles for touches early, get, get Fowles going. You know, I don't know if maybe that's uh, just, to kind of get the other team into fall trouble, you know, maybe let's see if we can pick up two quick falls on the opposing team center. But I mean, they had no answer for falls. They had no answer for uh, Collier. Collier, I, I don't know if you mentioned this, sorry if you did, but Collier drew 11 falls in this game. That's crazy. Um, yeah. And it was also encouraging, I think, to see her get four threes up in this game as well. And, you know, early in the first quarter, uh, I think, you know, their first two baskets, Minnesota, were both kind of high, low passes, one to Collier from Damaris Dantas, you know, Collier was being guarded by Hayes and was immediately able to kind of get herself between Hayes and the rim and uh, Dantas hit her with a nice post-entry pass. And then the, their next bucket was to follows on a, a, a high-low from Dantas. So definitely something there they will miss while Damaris Dantas is out. And as we mentioned, she's missing this one that they're playing currently. And Sylvia Fowles defensively, I thought, was it was just an, an awesome game for her as well. You know, this team earlier in the week kind of torched the Liberty in pick and roll, having the Liberty try to play two on two with their limited 
bigs that we'll kind of get to later in the show. But, you know, Sylvia Falls, it's a lot more difficult to do that with Falls. And, you know, Dantas, for all her offensive gifts, um, they definitely kind of went at her early in pick and roll. Uh, and I think actually Dantas leaving the game with injury kind of threw Atlanta off of what they wanted to do a little bit because they were definitely Atlanta and their uh, guards were targeting Demers Dantas in pick and roll. And Minnesota was kind of switching those actions, whereas Falls was, is kind of able to play it two on two and you don't have to switch and you don't have to play like a, such a drop coverage like Falls can actually come up to the level of the ball like we saw very, very early in this game, she got up to the level of the screen and then recovered all the way back to Elizabeth Williams for that monstrous block. And, you know, none of Minnesota's other bigs, you know, Natalie Chanwa, Damaris Dantas, they can't really play the pick and roll like that. And explain to our listeners how much of a luxury that is to have a big who can do that. Yeah, I would say Fowles is maybe the best in the league at it. So there, there aren't really many teams that can, but I mean, Candace Parker, I think is good at it as well. Although she, I think defensively comes with a little bit, maybe less mobility, you know, recovering. So she'll play a little bit further back, but yeah, that, that just means that you really don't have to bring any help anywhere else. So it's up to kind of the ball handler to kind of make that play or the roller to finish a, a highly contested layup, which Elizabeth Williams wasn't able to do in this specific action that I mentioned. That's right, and it's it's just continue, just continues to amaze me how Fowles is still so good at this this late in her career. Um, a player who is largely dependent on her size and her athleticism, basically all her physical gifts, is still able to to do this at, at such an advanced stage of her career. So that's that's pretty awesome. But um, yeah, Sylvia Fowles defensively was was incredible. But talk about like after Dantas uh, went out of the game, that's that was Atlanta's turn to make a run. What did they have going there? Well, I thought this was a really great Tiffany Hayes game. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought she was Atlanta's best player for sure. You know, she wasn't hyper-efficient, but 23 points on 20 shooting possessions. She was 60% from two. And I thought, you know, at times, because kind of in the first half, they were more kind of playing with like bigger lineups with Fowles and Dantas, obviously, during the seven minutes or so she was able to play. And then uh, Shepard at the power forward. And they even played a little bit of Fowles and Achanwa together. Uh, whereas in the second half, they kind of, you know, played a little bit smaller. They shifted Collier to the forward, and played with more wings out there. But in the first half, when it was Collier at small forward, like I think Tiffany Hayes, there's not too many players that really give Nafisa Collier a matchup problem. But I think Hayes is just a little bit too quick, a little bit too explosive with dribble penetration. I thought she really gave Collier some problems. Yeah, she's going to give anyone, anyone, anyone problems, as, as you said. And with, um, especially with fouls out of the game, kind of that, that paint and rim deterrent. Uh, Hayes just ran rough shot. It, it's where she only shot six free throws. It, it felt like so much more, but maybe that's just because she was getting into the paint and finishing so easily. Uh, it's, it's, it's kind of funny because Hayes is a player. You know, she's been doing, that, doing this for a long time. You know what she wants to do. She's going to go left 99.9% of the time, and she's going to try to finish with her left and, and get to the rim. And that sounds like something that's easy to defend, but it's not. You, you know what she's going to do, but she still goes out there and does it every single game. And, you're right. I mean, this is, this is a player who the Lynx really couldn't stop from getting to the rim. Yeah, I mean, she I, – I don't want to say, you know, I, I'm trying to hold myself back from being hyperbolic, but she might just have, like, the quickest first step in the league in terms of – She might. Like, even if you're giving her space because, you know, you're maybe not uh, giving her jump shot all that much credence, even though, you know, she has been a better shooter this season, but she'll still be able to kind of get by you, you know what I mean? So, and you, you know which way she wants to go, you know kind of the, the pattern to uh, what she wants to do with her drive game, but she's still so, so strong when she gets her shoulder into you, like we saw with Collier a couple of times, legally, of course, like she's not 
uh, giving an offensive foul, but she's, she's able to just use her strength to, to get through you into the rim. She's, she's really tough to stop. And we saw it with the seven quick first quarter points that Hayes was able to get with, with the three and then a drive and a transition layup. Uh, she kind of had it all working early. It was a great game from Hayes, even though, you know, defensively, I didn't think she made a huge impact necessarily, but she was definitely their best offensive player, I thought. And the two players who I think really fueled this, this Atlanta run over the past few games were Hayes and Courtney Williams. But Courtney Williams had a bit of a rough game, um, by her recent standards anyway, just 6 of 18 from the field. Yeah, it was a little bit more of a um, pre-2021 Courtney Williams game. She had 15 points on 19 shooting possessions. If you take away that end of the game heave, uh, she only took really one real three-point attempt and then went five for 13 on non-paint twos. So, you know, those are kind of the, the elements that will, I mean, a lot of that is kind of what she's also been succeeding at lately. And it's just a little bit more three-point volume and kind of really the same diet of shots. But Mm -hmm. I think maybe a little bit more catch and shoot uh, in the the past few games. And when she gets her catch and shoot going, I think it's easier to kind of get the the dribble pull-up game going as well. When you're kind of just living off dribble pull-ups, that's a little bit tougher, I think. And then, you know, defensively, she had a couple uh, miscues. You know, the two sideline out-of-bounds plays where they were able to get open layups for the inbounders, you know, immediately right after the pass. Um, you know, those were kind of both getting Courtney Williams involved in that action. So so that was kind of rough. But, um, yeah, not not the best Courtney Williams game, but I don't think it's necessarily a referendum on kind of how she'll play moving forward. Um, but she, she wasn't able to kind of make those tough shoot, those tough twos that she likes to live on. Well, that's and you're you're exactly right on that. I Courtney Williams is too good of a shooter to um, play like this night in and night out. I just think it's interesting because it it seems to me like so much of this Atlanta uh, winning streak that they were on was had to do with good jump shooting, you know, you know, hot, hot jump shooting from players like Williams, Hayes, uh, Sims, and McDonald. You know, sometimes players who you might not typically typically consider to be great jump shooters besides Williams. Um, Crystal Bradford is another player I want to talk about. She went four for five from three again. Uh, they've really turned her into this interesting player. She's been out of the league since, I want to say, 2015, 2016, something like that. And they've turned her into this small ball four, and she's just become a sniper from the corner. Yeah, and, you know, with the injuries that they've had, uh, Atlanta's had so far to this point, you know, Kennedy Carter is missing. Shakina Strickland is having some problems with her knee. So this this team has gone from a team with, like, kind of a, a surplus of uh, wing players to now they're kind of shallow on the wing and, and they spent zero minutes on the uh, today without one of Courtney Williams or Tiffany Hayes on the floor, which I think is good. But, you know, with the return of Cheyenne Parker, who I'm sure we'll get to at some point, you know, that kind of left Crystal Bradford in this weird spot. Cause she had, I thought given them some really solid minutes at the four, um, but she played 10 minutes in this game exclusively at the three. And, you know, I think, it wasn't necessarily all her fault, uh, but I, I think that was kind of to the detriment, you know, when you bring in the, the totality of everything, you know, Parker coming back, Bradford playing more at the three, uh, all these things kind of changed how Atlanta wanted to play philosophically, like defensively. We saw a lot less of that hyper aggression that that gave so many teams trouble recently, you know, the Sky and in, in their rematch, uh, the Liberty uh, earlier in the week or, or whenever that game was on a Saturday, I think um, of last week. So, you know, I think Brad, you know, Bradford was still able to hit her shots and I think she's a valuable player at the three still, but kind of changing it from her being a, a, a four 
you know, where she'll be a, a lot more involved maybe in pick and rolls and, and Billings as well. So now being a wing, it's, it's a little bit different formula for their defense. Definitely. And that kind of leads me into something I wanted to talk about. Do you think this, uh, this Bradford at the four stuff, do you think that was done out of necessity? Yeah. Well, I, I think, I mean, especially early in the season and, you know, Elizabeth Williams has really come along uh, since early in the season where I think the Hawkins Williams pairing really, really struggled early on. So they were just kind of like, you know, throwing darts at the wall, I think a little bit. Uh, and then they, they really found something with Billings and Bradford, like that combination, which gives you a little bit more mobility, more athleticism, a, a little bit more spacing with Hawkins, not really able to knock down her shots early in the season so far. So I, I think they were kind of trying whatever they could with Strickland out at the time too, as well, you know, obviously Parker, um, but then, you know, it started working and, and they really kind of found that the identity that they had kind of before this game, which they, they kind of went away from. It's interesting. And, and just to follow up on that, um, Hawkins hit her first three-pointer of the season in this game, which is kind of interesting to think about, you know, this, this player who they invested a decent amount of money in, uh, I don't believe she's on a, on a guaranteed contract, but this, this is a player who you think of her as a stretch for, but up until now, I mean, she really hasn't contributed that much. And Williams, as you said, got off to a slow start as well. Um, and in this game, I mean, the plus minus doesn't really agree, but they didn't really contribute that much on offense either. Billings, on the other hand, Monique Billings, um, I think she's been playing a lot better lately. And, you know, we need to give her her due for that, particularly on defense, as you said, with her mobility and her athleticism, really coaching, putting her in a good position to do the things that she excels at. But uh, not good in this game. It didn't go well for Monique Billings. And uh, we had been complimentary of her recently after being generally critical, you know, over the, the history of the show, I think. Um, but she played almost 25 minutes in this game and was a minus 24 in those 25 minutes. And nobody on this team was even worse than like a minus six. Yeah. Um, so, you know, single game plus minus can be pretty noisy, but I think this was actually fairly telling. And one of the problems that Atlanta really ran into, I thought anytime Billings was on the floor, with Sylvia Fowles is we, we talked about this kind of similarly in the Phoenix Connecticut sun uh, recap show we did a couple of weeks ago, but like Atlanta was putting Fowles on Monique Billings and, you know, more probably not having Fowles guard her, you know, she was just kind of playing help, not, not really paying all that much attention to Billings and, you know, Billings kind of was able to capitalize on a couple offensive rebounds because of this, but really I think it just kind of clogged things up for Atlanta in those minutes and, you know, overall for the game as well, the Dream had a 30% turnover rate with Billings in the game. Yes. Um, and a lot of those, you know, Billings was only directly in, like she was only credited with three turnovers, but she was directly involved with a lot of these, you know, particularly uh, they had four turnovers in Billings first five minutes and she was credited with one of them, but she was involved in three of them directly, whether it was, you know, trying to, you know, there was a post-entry pass knocked away to Billings on Billings trying to post up Damaris Dantas for some reason. Uh, one of them was uh, a Courtney Williams pick and roll where they just completely swarmed Williams and she just kind of had it poked away, like waiting for Billings to do something, but she kind of like popped out to 18 feet uh, and didn't really give Williams the opportunity to, to pass there. Um, and then the other one was an offensive fall. And, and a lot of those kind of over the course of the game as well, were just, you know, it wasn't direct, okay, Billings, you know, had it stripped from her and it's a turnover, but it was, it was very much involved, you know, in the third quarter, there was a, 
a Hayes Billings DHO where Hayes just kind of completely gets surrounded by defenders, including Billings defender who left her. So the spacing issue, I think really kind of uh, the the court shrunk a lot in those minutes. uh, And there was, you know, some moving screens and and stuff like that. So it was a tough one, I think. With, uh, with DHO and that's, that's dribble handoff. And in case you didn't know, or yeah, dribble handoff. Is that a play you just wouldn't recommend Atlanta running with Billings? Yeah. I mean, I think with, you know, in, in certain lineups, maybe like if, you know, you don't have a Sylvia Fowles, say. I mean, but I think uh, Minnesota is just like too too well coached, uh, particularly on defense to, you know, they, they're going to know your personnel. Some other teams, uh, I think maybe you, you can get away with that stuff, but it really doesn't really bring you any advantage, I don't think. Okay. Any other, any uh, player or development you want to talk about in particular next? Uh, I thought we should talk about Kayla McBride a little bit. Uh, I thought it was just nice to see her okay. get up. Um, nine three-pointers. Nine three-pointers. Thank you. Yeah. Very good. Uh, and, you know, her, her three-point shooting has come around since we kind of last checked in on uh, on the links. I think she's up to like 36% coming into the game tonight. And they were, they were nice, clean looks. And I, it's just nice to see that being a little bit more prioritized. You know, I don't have a ton on McBride, but I thought that was worth mentioning. Nine three-pointers in the game, uh, you know, coming from Vegas last year, you know. Hopefully, I, I don't, I'm not sure if McBride has ever been able to get nine three-pointers up in a game. Yeah, and th- and this is something that I'd expect to see again, um, especially with powers out. You you, you think that the Lynx are going to look to McBride to get most of their three point production, if not like all of it. But um, one thing that I kind of wanted to talk about here is are these uh, big lineups for Minnesota. There, there was this one lineup uh, I forget when it was exactly, but they had both Shepard and Achanwa in there. I don't think like Achanwa got a couple of buckets off of Shepard passes, which is like her her main calling card is Shepard her passing, but. I don't really think it gave the Lynx any particular advantages. Yeah, and one of those buckets specifically was the the end of the first quarter when Atlanta came out in that 1-3-1 in Minnesota. This time, you know, it, it was a little bit different story late in the game, right? But this time around, uh, Minnesota was able to kind of flood the court to the strong side, and uh, they were able to get Achanwa with a smaller player on her. I think it was McDonald down low, and, and they were able to score at the end of the quarter from that. But And there was another lineup um, – that didn't involve a Chanwa, but it, you know, it was Carlton Collier, uh, Shepard and falls. Like I, I would not expect a ton of that lineup moving forward. I, you know, I think they held up okay in this one, but I, I just, I like this team, the flow of it a little bit more when it's, you know, an, an extra wing out there. Uh, maybe it's, it's Dangerfield and Clarendon together, you know, rather than Collier at the three, and Shepard and Fowles or uh, Achano and Fowles or something like that. Like, I just don't, I don't love those big lineups for them. Well, especially because uh, again, like that, that big lineup, it doesn't really give the links, at least in this matchup, uh, there may be others in which it does, but it doesn't really give the links that big of an advantage elsewhere, you know, uh, like rebounding maybe, but I don't know. It just didn't, it, it just seems like th- this is the one time in the game in which, the dream were really able to speed the links up out of their comfort zone. And that's when they were running both Shepard and Achanwa out there. Yeah. And I mean, Achanwa. Is, I this, is this where you mentioned that she's getting paid 160,000? Well, yeah. And she was, <laughs> you know, a, a minus eight in, in 10 minutes or something like that. I mean, even, you know, the plus minus aside, like to, to devote this type of money and resources to a player that you only feel comfortable with playing 10 minutes a game, you know, you, the idea was to kind of bring in a, a, a steward to, um, be able to, you know, reduce Sylvia Falls minutes, but she's still, you know, 32 minutes in this game for Sylvia Falls. Uh, she's been over 30 minutes in the overwhelming majority of the game so far. And, you know, this 
is a player that you brought in for, you know, just shy of max money that is barely breaking double digit minutes in, in games here. Yeah, we could, there are a whole host of players we could talk about with uh, regarding investment versus production, but we'll save that for another show. Um, anything else you want to talk about? Like this third quarter was pretty much all Atlanta. Well, I wanted to ask you what you thought about Cheyenne Parker's. Right. Okay. Yeah. Cheyenne Parker, her first game back after uh, being diagnosed with COVID 14 minutes. Um, I didn't think she was that good. Like 14 minutes, three turnovers credited by no shots made one or two from the free throw line like plus two, but the game just seems too quick for her on both ends of the court. Yeah. And I thought she, she played um, on the perimeter a lot in situations where maybe, you know, I would expect kind of a Cheyenne Parker early duck in, like they had, they spent time with Collier kind of guarding up top and Bridget Carlton guarding Cheyenne Parker in the corner. And there was really like no effort to get a, a duck in or a post up or something like that. Um, the next possession after that, you know, she kind of just kind of hung around the three-point line uh, with Carlton. With Carlton guarded her, and this was the um, the Monique Billings Hayes DHO where where Hayes was able to. I mean, Hayes kind of got swarmed. Uh, you know, I, I think there was a, an opportunity for a little bit more aggression for Parker, and then you know, uh, there was like a one-five pick and roll she was involved in defensively, where she just kind of like swatted her hand at. Clarendon and made no real resistance and she kind of uh you know just allowed easy penetration for Clarendon to find an open three in the corner so it was a little bit of a struggle uh, on both sides but obviously you know coming off a COVID diagnosis I'm sure Parker's kind of getting her win back and getting her timing back and stuff like that no no huge you know referendums on on the, the fit or anything here but I hope she doesn't kind of spend too much time um on, around the perimeter, you know, she, she can hit her threes, but she's definitely a dominant inside player, I think. Yeah, I agree with that. And this is a matchup, like, maybe if Fowles is in the game, you don't look to that as often. But if Fowles isn't in the game, I think Parker could take any of these other players in the post fairly easily. So that's – it was disappointing for me. But like you said, COVID is, is no joke, um, especially, you know, if, if you get hit with those symptoms and everything. It's going to take a while to get your conditioning back. And the, the timing, you know, it, she's coming off a season which she was playing with. A, uh, a really good sky offense and this dream, this dream offense is completely different. So you can practice all you want, but when, until you get those game reps, it's, it's just not the same. So I'd assume like, I mean, she's going to be on a minutes limit for a little while, I think. So maybe that, that gives him a little bit more time to get her acclimated and everything like that. What I kind of wanted to mention here is that um, going back to Bradford at the four for a second, now with Parker back in the lineup, are you still able to do Bradford at the four? Because I feel like that was such an advantage for them. But now you've got Parker, Hawkins, Williams, Billings. Is, is there any room to do that anymore? Are there any minutes left or no? Well, it feels like Hawkins is going to be the odd player. That's what I would do, honestly. Yeah, like, I mean, Bradford's she, been playing too well. Hawkins has been by far, I think, of those players outside of Parker who's just coming back, like the, the least productive and, yeah. and uh, the most damaging for you on both ends. So, um, I mean, we'll see what happens, but that's kind of the way I, I would be leaning. I did want to kind of talk about the end of this game. I think we can go a little bit long on this one because the, the next one was a, a bit of a uh, – well, Can we, into can we talk st- about Alicia Clarendon real quick? Yeah, of course. Because I thought they hit a terrific game. Yeah, he got some blow buys on uh, Odyssey Sims um, a couple times early in the half. And I really liked late in the game, specifically like Minnesota went to the Dangerfield Clarendon two-point guard lineups. And mm-hmm. I think that really you know takes a little bit of pressure off of uh, – you know I, I don't really think either – uh, Clarendon or Dangerfield are kind of like top tier starting point guards. So to give you a little bit of kind of balanced, uh, you know, dribble shooting, playmaking, dribble penetration, you know what I mean? They can both give you a little bit of that. And 
the nice thing about Clarendon is they give you some positional versatility defensively where she can guard the one or the two. And uh, I think was even guarding Hayes uh, at times. So uh, a smaller three as well. So a really nice addition. I think. Yeah, really nice addition. And the the, uh, the versatility um, is, is the one thing that I wanted to hit on because Clarendon, the, the one thing that stood out about his game immediately was that they uh, used their body very effectively getting the rim. Like, like Clarendon isn't a player who's going to blow by anybody, but she uses yeah, her body awesome. so effectively, like upper body strength and all that stuff. And this is a matchup in which he could take advantage of that. He'll go up against Courtney Williams, I think, put Odyssey Sims in the goal once or twice. Uh, and then the ball handling, of course, like you said, if you have two ball handlers out there, that makes all the difference against this dream team that is filled top to bottom with ball hawks. And you know they want to manufacture steals, right? So Clarendon, really good. I mean, he was credited with five assists and four turnovers, but I don't think that tells the whole story. Like, I think her floor game was really good. Yeah, and you, you just kind of made me think, like, this is – a pretty solid matchup, I think, you know, outside of when Atlanta, uh, you know, I mentioned they kind of were not playing their typical 2021 style of defense with the blitzing and the aggression. They did kind of change that late in the game with Dangerfield specifically, like uh, late in the game, they were blitzing Dangerfield uh, pretty, pretty relentlessly, I think. But like outside of that, like this is a good matchup for, I think the Dangerfield Clarendon combo because they Atlanta doesn't have like huge guards really that are going to kind of kill you with strength so you can play two point guards yeah okay all right so now now you can go ahead i'm sorry you can go ahead with the end of the game stuff because it was Uh, a close end of the game well well i also i know you wanted to kind of talk about like what this roster is going to look like moving forward because uh, clarendon is signed on a hardship exception so i mean for me like the easy answer would be to cut jess shepherd but i know Mm -hmm. minnesota seems to like jessica shepherd a lot but I think Leisure Clarendon is just going to help this team's championship aspirations more than Jessica Shepard is. They, the links are their need for a secondary ball handler and a backup point guard, or in some cases, a starting point guard is not going to go away. At least prior in the season when they were keeping Jessica Shepard, it was just insurance. Like, okay, you know, if Collier is going to be playing a ton of minutes at the four later when she comes back, but Collier wasn't there, you know? And if you, ha- if you keep Leisure Clarendon on this roster, then you have solid two ball handlers. You don't need to worry about the point guard position. If Reeve wants to continue bringing Dangerfield off the bench for whatever reason, fine, fill your boots, whatever. Uh, you don't need to be messing around with like this weird aerial powers at point guard stuff. Rachel Banham at point guard. Like you don't need to worry about that. Whereas if you keep Jessica Shepard over Clarendon, that just, it feels like it would just create a hole that, that doesn't need to be there, you know? Yeah, no, I hundred percent agree. Even with powers coming back, you know, I think as long as, you know, this back issue for Dantas isn't something that's really going to linger. Yeah. Um, you know, you have, in my opinion, enough front court. It's not even depth, right? Because depth is one thing, but Minnesota also has um, optionality. You know, you can play a smaller lineup with Dantas and Collier, which they're probably never going to do this season at the four and the five, you have falls. Um, so you, you just have like your, you know, for the Liberty, for example, like you have Kylie Shook and uh, Kia Stokes, who are are two, you know, fine centers, but they're they don't really bring much of a difference. Necessarily. So it's like it's like depth versus functional depth. Well, yeah, depth versus function, but also just optionality. Like you you have different looks you can give a team, and I think you know when you get to like a five game series, that's going to uh, that that's a very valuable thing to have in case you know something that you're doing is not working you know you just have different options you can play a little bit smaller you can play a little bit bigger you know you can add 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 more shooting add more dribble penetration kind of whatever it is that you need i think Shepard, you know she she does some things well but for me i would just value what laser clarendon brings a lot more frankly as would i 
I mean, we don't have to really get into too much of the end of the game here because uh, we kind of went long on some other stuff. Let's move on to um, the Liberty and the Sun, a game that up until kind of, you know, the last week or so, I had some pretty high aspirations that, that were going to, you know, this is going to be a, a pretty good showdown. But, you know, I think the Liberty kind of with their talent disadvantage in the front court, they're, they're just kind of running out of gas. And uh, obviously they've got some other issues that, that we can get to as well. But this, you know, it turned into a blowout, but it was a pretty close first half. And, you know, the Liberty even led by four, I think, with like four minutes left in the first half. Uh, it was only a six-point game at the half. You know, it, it turned into kind of a stinker, but it looked like it might be competitive for a while. <laughs> that is such, that sounds like such faint phrase. Like, it looked like it might be competitive for a while. But, no, uh, this is a game I was looking forward to it because these two teams play very different styles of basketball. You know, Liberty, they want to play fast. They want to push the ball. They want to shoot threes. The Sun want to play slow. They want to play big. They want to grind you down on the boards. And I guess they want to shoot threes, but they're not really any good at it. For a while there, I think it was an interesting chess match, like for the first half, as you said. Obviously, John Cole Jones is a tremendous matchup problem for this Liberty team. Like, they had Michaela Onionwede on her for a little while, and it's just like, what are you doing? Like, give her a break. And Onionwede was able to hang a little bit in the, the first half. You know, John Quell, she started, uh, uh, by the way, a career-high 31 points on 18 shooting possessions for John Quell Jones. Game, yeah. Um, started out a, a little bit slow with Michaela Onyenwede guarding her. You know, she was just one for four in the first quarter. You know, she did draw two fouls on Onyenwede, uh, two of the seven fouls that John Quell Jones was able to draw in this game. Uh, so, so, you know, she only had one shooting foul, but she drew seven overall. So just really, really great stuff. But then, you know, in the second half, it just didn't matter who was, who was guarding her. Uh, after going for 12 points on 10 shooting possessions in the first half, uh, John Quell, uh, and it, it started out early with uh, Michaela Onionwede, you know, just three quick uh, opportunities of just really putting Onionwede in the goal uh, and finished the second half seven for seven from the field, 19 points on eight shooting possessions plus the Is that true goal. shooting percentage again? Uh, I think it was, she had a 114 true shooting in the second <laughs> half, uh, according to WNBA.com. This was maybe like the, the single most dominant half a player has been this season that I've seen at least. Uh, I mean, John Quill Jones was amazing. I look at the box score and it feels like 13 rebounds is, is short of what she had. It felt like she had like 25 rebounds. Well, yeah. And I think a lot of that kind of goes to those, those six non-shooting falls. Oh yeah, that could be. That's true. That's true. But yeah, I mean, Liberty, just too small, just too small. Even, even when, uh, Walt Hopkins took shook out and put Stokes on her. I mean, there was really no difference. You know, you can't, John Quill isn't just big. She's really, really long. And that's why she's such a good rebounder over, like, she's been such a consistently elite rebounder all these years. Um, she's just really, really good at staying big, um, giving that second effort on the glass. And then when you have, like, uh, Brianna Jones, I think, here's, I think this is an interesting thing. Um, I don't know if you agree with this, but having Brianna Jones in there was a great rebounder in her own right. That kind of forces the opponent to maybe put their bigger player on her. You can't put a four on Bree Jones. Like no. she, she will put that player into the basket, and she, you know she has a really great post up game. You know you you can't play like your four on her. Otherwise, you're you're going to give up a ton of offensive rebounds. You're probably going to give up a lot of fouls, and you're definitely going to give up some some points in the paint. Well, they put their four on John Quill Jones instead, and all those things happened anyway. So yeah, that that's true. Which, <laughs> which manifested itself to uh, a complete. 
dominance in the restricted area for Connecticut. The Liberty, uh, they went one for seven in the restricted area, and the Connecticut Sun went 21 of 33 in the restricted area. So, That's ridiculous. Uh, two completely different games out there. So like I said, this is, uh, this is something that – this is two different styles of play, and the Sun ended up winning it pretty easily. I think we both agree that New York has maybe the more aesthetically pleasing style of play. But, I mean, you look at it, they, they did what they wanted to do as far as shooting the three. They made 11 three-pointers, and they still lost by 21 points. So that just gives you an, uh, an idea of how physically dominant Connecticut was elsewhere. You could say, like, yeah, you know, the, the Liberty, they want to they wanna play this way, but they just didn't have the horses. I could agree with that. But, you know, UNESCO has been limited. Laney didn't have the best game, although the Sun did a heck of a job taking Laney out of the game. Um, her 20-point streak has been broken. Um, is there anything you, you kind of wanted to address there? Yeah, I did actually. I think, okay. you know, the, really like for the Liberty, this really came down to kind of two things. And, and one of them kind of f- feeds off what you were just saying. John Quell Jones will just completely swallow your offense if she feels like she does not have to guard her assignment. And mm-hmm. she was not really giving Michaela Onionwede complete respect from the corner three. Like if, if Michaela, and we saw this from Atlanta on Saturday too. And, and Onion Weddy was able to get, you know, uh, career high in points. Uh, I forget exactly the number, but it was definitely over 21. I think it was 29. 29, thank you. 29 points, wow, okay. Um, but, well, 21 was in the first half, and then 29 okay. for, yeah. Uh, but re- regardless, you know, she was able to kind of take a little bit more advantage of it. But what teams are going to, you know, uh, you have to allow something, right? They, they want to either let the Liberty's centers try to beat you, which, which definitely won't. Or, you know, Michaela Onyewede in the corner or Rebecca Allen in the corner. And sometimes they will and sometimes they won't. And, and today they weren't really able to do it. Um, but John Quill Jones, you know, is just going to kind of camp out in the paint. And anytime time Laney, you know, just four of 12 from the field, one re- shot in the restricted area, two shots from floater range, and, and the rest, she was kind of living off long twos or, or mid-range jumpers or, or threes, uh, three for nine, I think, on jumpers today. Anytime she got her like a foot or two in the paint, she was immediately met by at least two defenders and oftentimes more. I think it was maybe the first or, or second play of the game. Like they just completely um, cut off Laney on a drive. Uh, you know, John Quill Jones was met there with uh, Onion Weddy kind of standing by herself in the corner. Um, Bree Jones, I think as well, her aggression on the pick and roll, you know, kind of blitzing or, or kind of soft hedging on some of those screens. Um, you know, that's been a really effective element for them with John Quill Jones able to, you know, in some of these matchups, just kind of hang out in front of the rim, regardless of what her assignment's doing. Um, but the other thing for the Liberty is, you know, I think Sabrina, she's really kind of continuing to struggle in a couple different areas. One, you know, getting the ball out quickly, you know, facing one of those blitzes or one of those traps. And it's never really going to the middle of the floor. You know, it's always kind of getting kicked out to the wing because she just doesn't kind of have the size to pass over the trap, or if she is able to get it middle, like we saw, I think in, in one of these um, blitzes uh, last night, they just don't have the players that can kind of do anything off the short roll on some of those pick and rolls, you know, uh, Shook and Stokes, like they're, they're not natural passers. But the other thing with Sabrina is I, I think she's just really not getting any separation one-on-one against her defenders. And maybe that's just a, a string of quality defensive players that have been on her. But if you can't get by your player and you can't operate in other pick and roll coverages other than like a conventional drop, then, you know, you're, you're a very limited player. 
and teams are going to continue to do, to do this against UNESCO. I think Hopkins did say that she's been dealing with some kind of injury, and I wouldn't be surprised if she was. But regardless, that that has nothing to do with, like you said, getting the ball out in time. Or another player on the Liberty, maybe uh, her backcourt partner, you know, being able to be that secondary creator. And I said this before the season started when we were talking about the Liberty, we were making uh, predictions. This is I remember saying this um, with in 2020, Clarendon was starting next to UNESCO and was actually playing a lot of point guard. Like UNESCO can score, she can play off the ball. That's she's not she's not a, a pass first, pass second kind of kind of player. So it makes me wonder, like if they're not, if they wouldn't be better off with her I mean, off Sam, the ball. Sammy Wickham is like handling the ball a lot. You know, you have Benajelani who's like initiating a lot of the offense. Like I, I don't think there's like an overburden on Sabrina Unescu so. in, in terms of her ball handling. I think she's just not really kind of making the most of the opportunities she has. And, and in some instances, it's her not being assertive enough. But in others, you know, she's also two for 14 on twos her last three games. So when she is able to kind of get some momentum or get into the paint, you know, she's just, she's not finishing well. Well, she has not really been able to get to it. She hasn't really been able to get to her spots. And, and this is, uh, I want to give the Sun defense a lot of credit for this. Because Jazz Thomas, who is an excellent defender, played just an absolute clinic of a defensive game. Yeah, when they have, you know, a, a matchup like this where you have kind of a a screen, an off-ball screen oriented type two guard, you know, uh, a a Sammy Whitcomb type or like a Kayla McBride type where uh, Brian January gets like the lock and trail assignment and Jasmine Thomas can guard the point of attack. Like that, that's so fun to see those two players just in their elements like that. And we definitely saw that in this one. And uh, you, as you put it best on Twitter, like Jasmine Thomas completely put Sabrina Unescu in jail uh, last night. She, she was not able to get anything uh, one-on-one against Jasmine Thomas. And I, I think a lot of that is of course, you know, like I was saying before, just overclogging of, of the paint, kind of making, those ancillary players beat you. I think one other thing that's hampering this Liberty team is like, they just don't have a ton of collective passing. Like who outside of Sabrina, Sammy Whitcomb and Laney can pass on this team. There, there's not a lot of options. Yeah. Particularly in the front court. Yeah. I think, I mean, Michaela onion has been like a, a great story. I think, you know, she's hit threes better than I think anyone could have expected. She had some really nice drives to the basket in this game and throughout the season, but you know, she's not really kind of making a play off two dribbles for, for someone else. Even kind of the extra pass is a little tough. Like none of their centers are really decent passers. I mean, Kylie Shook had that one pass in this game where she, she caught the pass on the roll and immediately kicked it out to the corner. That was a nice play, but you know, for the most part without Howard, you know, Allen is going to kind of chuck it every time she gets it. She's like second on this team in usage. So they, there's just not a lot of kind of institutional passing uh, on this team. That's a good way. That's a good term, institutional passing. Because what, what I what, what I see here is that yes, it's fun when it's working, but like if you can't get, you know what happens whenever the Liberty forwards are getting the ball. I mean, the shots going up. It's different if you if like if, if the Sun, for instance, say they bottle up Shook or, or Stokes or whatever. If if they look to pass or if, if they're able to make a play for somebody else that changes how the defense wants to play, right? You know, because you can't just take away the roller. You got to take away the roller and whoever's cutting or and whoever's, you know, going around the, the screen on the weak side for the jump shot. So it's, it's limiting in what you want to do offensively. Any other uh, notes, I, I guess, on kind of like the, the overarching sort of themes of this game? I had some other things I wanted to hit on. Uh, I mean, in the second half, it, it wasn't like it was pretty much no contest. It was just the sun 
just the sun wearing on their opponent, you know, their, their strengths were obvious in this game. Um, like I said, they just basically overpowered the Liberty physically on in every phase of the game. Um, one thing I did, you mentioned Rebecca Allen. She was the only Liberty player to score in double figures. She had 14. I think she's had a pretty solid start to the season. Yeah. The, the offensive numbers, you know, if you just kind of look at like her true shooting and stuff like that, it, it's definitely disappointing. Yeah, I think she's still kind of in the twenties and as to where she is, um, as a three-point shooter, but the last two games, she's really come alive. You know, she absolutely carried them for stretches in that game earlier in the week against Vegas, where she kind of single-handedly brought them back in it. Um, and then this one tonight, you know, I thought she had some good minutes. Um, the, the one interesting thing I, I thought uh, when Laney and Allen were on the court together, uh, there were times where they would have Allen guard the point guard. I think Walt Hopkins is a little bit more comfortable with Allen guarding like even like a really small player, like a point guard or a shooting guard. Um, and then uh, this has been a couple games, but in this one specifically, uh, that resulted in Laney guarding John Quill Jones, which is, was just obviously like a size and a power mismatch. And it led to some easy shots at the rim for John Quill. Um, but uh, I mean, how do you kind of feel about Walt Hopkins uh, presumed, I guess, lack of trust in Allen as like kind of a straightforward defender and kind of shifting everyone else down to uh, accommodate that and have her be more like a of a playmaking, you know, they call her Spida, right, because of her long limbs. And, and she's definitely a good defensive playmaker. Um, but I think they they didn't really feel comfortable with a lot of, uh, uh, you know, against an Asia Wilson or a John Quill Jones uh, and would rather kind of stick Laney there. Well, would you? Yeah, I mean she's small for sure, um, and she does do a good job, I think, on the uh, on the perimeter. But like that, that's kind of what you you have to give up, I guess, if you're going to yeah. play Allen at the four. Uh, and maybe you know defensively, Laney will just be your four, and and she is a little bit stronger. And stuff, it's so. it's like it's one of those situations in which I think you need you need to weigh the the positives against the negatives. Yes, if Rebecca Allen is playing as your your quote unquote four, you are going to be able to bring the opposing four out of the paint. But you know what if you, what if the other team just cross matches? You know, and then on the other hand, you then on the other end, you're still stuck with Rebecca Allen guarding John Cole Jones. This and, and to be clear, like this isn't there is no answer for the Liberty against John Cole Jones. There's no answer for the Liberty defensively against this Connecticut front court. Not, so not without Natasha Howard. Always. No, not no. That's a good point. <laughs> Natasha Howard being out was absolutely critical in this matchup, and it's going to continue to be for the Liberty moving forward. Like their schedule gets really tough in the in the in the coming weeks, and not a great time to be without your premier roller and, and help defender. But um, yeah, you know, I, I think Allen, she does have a, a vital role on this team and that is, she is one of their best spot up shooters and she is a, an active and long defender. So I don't know about, about a lack of trust. He, he's going to trust her to play somewhere. And that's more than you can say for some of his other players. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it's that big of an issue. Do you, I mean, do you think she should be starting and or closing games for this team. I think there have been a lot of instances where, you know, Onion Wede obviously has been the, the full-time starter, but has yeah. also kind of gotten a closing nod as well. I, I wouldn't be opposed to it, honestly. As far as closing, yes. Starting, maybe not, but closing, you, you got to consider the matchups and everything. I'm not sure what Onion Wede gives you in a closing situation that Allen doesn't at this point. Yeah, the athleticism is nice, but again, if you're in a situation here where you're just, you're getting killed by, on, you're getting destroyed in height either way, then I think I'd want an extra shooter out there. Yeah, and Walt Hopkins, uh, it seems, definitely values that athleticism with some of these lineups. He's thrown out there with, you know, uh, uh, Jasmine Jones and Nia Odom and Dee Dee Richards all kind of playing at the same time. Yeah, I didn't like uh, that. <laughs> that was an interesting one. And then, you know, the other thing 
is the the combination of uh, Benaj Delaney, Sammy Whitcomb, and Rebecca Allen. They they played four minutes together in this game for the season. That three player combination has played just fifty one minutes. And then when you add Sabrina into that mix, those four players together, you know, I think kind of inarguably maybe their four best offensive players. They've played thirty four minutes together that group. So you know maybe. Hopkins just doesn't kind of trust that group defensively or uh, I mean, I don't know, but uh, would like to see kind of more of, of that, those four players together. Well, just for some perspective, um, the Liberty started the season five and one. Uh, I don't think anyone is really expecting the Liberty to compete for a championship this season. So we might need to kind of reel things in as far as, you know, process versus results with this team. Cause they're, they're still a work in progress, especially with Howard out that really caps their ceiling. Um, so I, I, I wouldn't roll my eyes too hard if, if, if Hopkins comes out with a quote and says, you know, like we're trying different combinations or we, we want to see how different players work together. Cause that's how you build a contender. You don't just throw five players out there and expect them to click just like that. Right. So, and I, I kind of wanted to use that to talk about the sun and their success for a little minute. Um, the one thing that I think has really impressed me about Connecticut and see if you agree as a sun fan, um, they are so good at controlling the pace of their game in their favor. There have been zero games and, and this, and you can call pace different things, but there have been zero games this season, zero in which the sun have gone or their opponents rather have gone over 80 possessions. They got just 72 possessions in this game against New York, 78 twice against Las Vegas. Those are the two, those are the two teams in the league, which I think want to push the ball the most, maybe Los Angeles, but that's, that's a different offensive, uh, category so granted offensive rebounding really brings the the pace the possessions number down but i mean connecticut has really forged out this identity of just grinding opponents down on the glass and playing really 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 tough defense is that you know is that something that you know you need to give kurt miller and his players credit for here i mean for sure and that that's a, a great point as to like like they have not been sped up for a single game this season like they've i think maybe you know that that first game against Phoenix, you know, they, they got a little bit kind of uncomfortable, I think. Yeah. That might be the one example. Yeah. But that's really it. And, and even then I, like, as you pointed out, they didn't break 80 possessions. Um, You know, I, I think uh, with Vegas, you know, that's uh, I think their two biggest wins of the season for me, uh, you know, that's maybe the best team in the league and and they've beaten them twice already. Uh, And, things really I think played to the way Connecticut wants to play things so yeah and, I mean Lambeer said it himself he said we played how they wanted to play we were walking the ball up the court we weren't getting into our early offense I mean I'm not sure how much of that is on coaching and players but regardless but I mean you know, to I, keep that team under 80 possessions like they they want to play fast yeah exactly and that's, that, that's kind of why I brought them up specifically so for two games to keep them under 80 possessions that's excellent work um, things, uh, uh, while we're talking about Connecticut, you know, things have come down, uh, back to earth a little bit for Dewana Bonner, uh, 46% true shooting her last five games. She has gone five for 21. Uh, that's good for just under 24% from three, um, you know, 13 points on 14 shooting possessions in this one. So definitely something to keep an eye on. You know, she's, she was never going to shoot that well from three, like things were, were always going to normalize. Uh, and then Jasmine Thomas, you know, two for four catch and shoot zero for five off the bounce in this one. This is something that, that I'm going to bring up every time we talk about the sun, probably <laughs> because she, she's scoring 1.44 points per possession on her catch and shoot opportunities and less than half a point per possession on her jump shots 
off the bounce. And that's just not an element of Jasmine Thomas's offensive game. As much as I am a fan of Jasmine Thomas on offense and defense, like her trying to create for herself off the bounce is never really going to result in efficient offense. Um, and I would like to see her be, you know, after she's kind of initiated, uh, be, be a little bit more comfortable as a catch and shoot player and, and less so creating some of those shots. Um, but, you know, the shooting is, is kind of starting to normalize for this team a little bit. Uh, and obviously they will be losing John Quill Jones soon. Yeah, so. that's that's the one thing I kind of wanted to talk about. Just touch on briefly. Um, John Quill Jones will be leaving. I think she already left it, actually. They temporarily suspended her contract. She's going to be playing for Bosnia and Herzegovina in uh, Eurobasket for a couple weeks at least. So uh, not good for the Sun. Not not good timing. Um, Bonner is going to need to get it going again. That's It's as simple as that. How do the Sun maintain this role that they're on? I, I truly, I don't even know what this is going to look like. I like, is it, is it mom premier starting at the four? Like, I, I don't know. I, I don't think mom premier. I, I like, I thought she had a very promising rookie season in some ways. I thought she had a very promising semifinals guarding one-on-one uh, against Asia Wilson at times. I think it's been a little bit of a disappointment. You know, I, outside of kind of running fast uh, down the court, I, I don't really know like what advantage she, she gives you uh, when she's out there. Like what, what are the positives, you know, what does the scouting report say to look out for with, with Beatrice mom premier? Um, or is the other option, you know, Stephanie Jones? Like, well, what, what is try this, this try this on for size. The next game is against Connecticut or against Seattle, which is yikes. Uh, granted, they do, they, they do have a week to prepare for that, but I mean, still, yikes. But after that, they get the sky twice, then they get the wings, then they get the sky again. Is this a game maybe in which, I mean, that sounds like a Dewana Bonner at the four type of game for me. And then you just put someone like Dijonate Carrington at the three. Like, I think that would be a better option than Stephanie Jones or Montpremier, to be honest. If, there, if there's ever a time to try it, and maybe it's not even Carrington, maybe you're just starting all three of your guards. Um, okay, sure. Uh, I mean, like, you know, S- Seattle, you know, Talbot's not going to kill you, although they, they will have Kato Lucenison back, I think. So uh, maybe that's not the option you go. But, you know, I think uh, it might be a tough one for, you know, guarding Alicia Gray and, and stuff like that. I mean, I don't know. I, maybe, maybe this is, I, like, like I said, if, this, if there's ever a time for Kurt Miller to, to make his lineup a little bit smaller and play Dewana Bonner at, uh, I think, the position that you and I both think is her best position mm-hmm. uh, at power forward, now is the time to do it. Um, but, you know, something tells me it'll be more mom premiere at the, the four with maybe some spot minutes uh, of Bonner uh, kind of playing up or, or down. Is it well, – which one is up and down? <laughs> I don't know which way is up and down anymore. Ever since the pandemic started, man, it's, it's been crazy. Um, but that, that's going to be something we'll keep an eye on. I mean, like I said, they do have a week in between games. So that's, that's music to a coach's ears, especially someone who's been playing like every other day. So this, uh, the scheduling has been getting, I mean, kudos to the sun for, I mean, they're eight and two with some, with, you know, with, with kind of unfavorable scheduling up until now. So yeah, I mean, this is, maybe it's a good, I don't want to say there's a good time for John Cole Jones leaving, but they get a little bit of a scheduling break for the next couple of weeks. So good for them. Uh, anything else you want to talk about? Uh, no, I think that just about does it for me. Okay. All right. Um, thank you so much everybody for listening. Steven, would you like to list the, uh, different podcast mediums they can find us on? Sure. You can find us on Spotify. You can find us on Apple Podcasts. Uh, you can find us on Google. Um, and you can also read a great piece about Benajelani that Eric just wrote for uh, Swish Appeal. Yeah. Uh, maybe not, not great timing on that because uh, Lanny just had her streak of 20, uh, 20 point games broken and uh, 
pretty convincing fashion by the sun, as we noted. But yeah, that was a really fun piece for me to write. Um, like, I, like I said, you might know, I've, I've been a fan of Laney for a while, going back to her days at Rutgers. But even I would not have expected this, this sudden surge in scoring this, that started last season for the Dream and has continued. I mean, I think she's been even better this year than she was last season. And if you read that article on Swish Appeal, um, there are some, she's in pretty rarefied air right now as far as uh, WMA players who have put up the numbers that she's putting up. So there are some big time names in there and that's pretty much it. So thank you to uh, Curtis at Across the Timeline for making this, those statistics not only available, but easily easily um, accessible. Like you can organize them um, by, you can look up like players by season and set a bunch of different thresholds for like points, rebounds, steals, minimum values for that. So that made it very, very easy to write. So I had a lot of fun doing it. Hope you enjoy reading it if you choose to. Um, and again, thanks for reading and thanks for listening.